0: You're listening to From the Desk of Alicia Kennedy, a food and culture podcast. I'm Alicia Kennedy, a food writer based in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Every week on Wednesdays, I'll be talking to different people in food and culture about their lives, careers, and how it all fits together and where food comes in. Today, I'm talking to Jamie Attenberg, the author of seven novels, including the best-selling The Middlesteens. Her latest book is a memoir called I Came All This Way to Meet You, which grapples with ideas of success and living a non-traditional life. We talk about the ups and downs of the writing life, along with her move from New York to New Orleans, why she chose to write a memoir right now, and how the pandemic has shifted her relationship to travel. Hi, Jamie. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, it's so nice to meet you. Can you tell me about where you grew up
1: and what you ate? Yeah, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. I'm 50, so I grew up in the 70s, and I'm Jewish, and so there was an emphasis on deli when we could get it. There wasn't a lot of deli going on out there where I grew up. I grew up in Buffalo Grove, so closer to Skokie is like where they where you could get deli, um, and then like a lot of Italian food, um, a lot of pizza, a lot of. I don't know if you've ever heard of Portillo's before. That is like an amazing Chicago chain and the Italian. I want it right now. just thinking about it like that. (laughs) They had this croissant sandwich with Italian beef that was really delicious. Um, Not a lot of... My mother would be upset to hear me say this, but I I do not recall having a lot of emphasis on healthy food in my household growing up. We were also Latke kids. So there was, you know, you'd come home and you sort of scramble for what you could find in the house, that kind of thing. I mean, there was food there, but. Right. So I don't know. When I look back at it now, I just think it was that there was like a, not a clear path to, not a clear aesthetic necessarily. It was a lot of like what was around.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you say your mom wouldn't like that because you write about The in your memoir, you write about her making chicken noodle soup from scratch and insisting she'd done it. And it's interesting because it brings up obviously like memoir where your memories don't match up with other people's memories. And and the question of that, like, how was it to reconstruct those kinds of things? and, And to, you know, I like that in the book, like you enacted the problem of memoir in the memoir with this kind of like whose memory actually
1: is the memory that's the memory. Well, you know, I have a brother, so I know yeah. you think he would back me up on certain things. And he's actually, an, he's a, he's a wonderful cook and he's very, uh, health focused and really in the farmer's markets and has a big tomato festival at his house every year. And, you know, learn, it was like a goal of his to kind of learn how to cook and be, connect with food in a different way. Yeah. As a response, I think, to coming from a house. I mean, I'm not blaming my parents for it. Like they had of course, a million jobs and things going on. So, you know. But uh yeah, so I mean I tried to be as honest about it um as I could. I mean I think my mother genuinely wanted to have cooked made chicken noodle soup for me from scratch. I don't I I do not recall it at all. I don't think it happened. So when that so when yeah. that did happen and felt kind of special. I, I mean she probably hadn't cooked for me as an adult in the in a really long time that that story where she is looking after me and, and making chicken noodle soup. For me, probably happened when I was in my like late 30s, and so by then it was, you know, I don't know how much you go home to see your family or what, or you know, what that looks like for you. But for me, I had, you know, lived in New York a long time, and my parents lived in Chicago, and I went back maybe once a year, and when we would see each other, we would go out to eat. Big big going out to eat family.
0: (laughs) Well, you write in the, that you're not a great cook, but you are a superb dinner party guest and food and drink are present in the memoir, of course, but they're also present in your, in your fiction. And so, you know, how would you kind of characterize food in your life now that you're, you're an adult, (laughs) fully formed and all that?
1: I mean, sadly, unlike my brother, I don't, I'm not, yeah, I didn't like take on the challenge like he did. I don't have much of a repertoire. I might make a lasagna every so often. You know, like it gets winter (laughs) and I'll be like, all right, I'm going to make a bunch of lasagna and I'm going to drop some up for friends. This year for Christmas, I just made like a ton of like spiced nuts for everyone. And like, like so like once a year, I get like excited about doing, I throw a lot of parties though. I do do that. I have like a lot of, I had, um, right after everybody got booster shots for the first time, I had a big oyster festival in my backyard and it was really wonderful. I don't mean, it's just definitely like a way to, for me to commune with my friends. It's just really important to me to connect with people. Everyone's happy. We like to sit down for long meals. You know, I live in a city that's, you know, got a great food culture. I lived in New York city for a long time that I have a great food culture. I just was there last week and had a dinner with some girlfriends at Ernesto's, which was wonderful. And the, every part of the Dinner was wonderful, but then the very last minute we got dessert too, and there was this fried brioche. I don't even know how to explain it. We were talking about it this <laughs> this morning, but the fried brioche, it was kind yeah. of creamy in the center. It was like kind of like French toast, but something, you know, like something else. It was like, it was so good. And like probably we're gonna remember that that fried brioche for the rest of our life. It was really special. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, you know, and so much of the memoirs about success and how it's difficult to define and you know you can publish books and have no money it was important for me to read I think at this juncture in my life where I was like nothing means anything necessarily until it means something (laughs) (laughs) I don't know but like you know how does how like how do you define success how do you feel about success as a concept as a writer
1: well first of all let me say that I have told you this before that I'm a fan of your newsletter. So I'm sort of following along like your kind of existential crisis that you like, that is sort of rolling out <laughs> in particular, like the last couple of newsletters. <laughs> and I don't want to be like that person who's like, it gets better, but I, I think it does right. get better. I don't know how old you are and I'm, it's fine how however old you are, but like, I think it's, I'm 36. I think no. it, it gets better in your forties. I hate to say it. Yeah. But I've said, given that advice to so many people in their, like, in that age where you're like, I've been doing this for so long. Like when does it just get like a little bit easier? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the answer is like re- you know, as a writer is like it got easier for me after like I'd written four books. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, you know, when I was like, a lot four, of <laughs> 40, 41, something like that was when I'd like hit that moment where I was able to like, yeah. you know, and also like there's just like this catch up period where you're like, you're constantly waiting for somebody to pay for something that you've written. And it's like, how do you like yeah. ever get ahead of that? And at some point you sort of do yeah. get, get ahead of that. Hopefully, you know, I'd make no yeah. guarantees or promises to anyone. Of course. And um, so to me, like, I think that your question was like a notion of success. Like to me right now, I feel yeah. like because I have a book contract and I have, I can spend the next year writing that book that I feel safe for now. Yeah. And you're always kind of yeah. like frogging to the next, whatever the next project is. I mean, someday I may yeah. run out and I might be shit I alert, but, and so, and I don't know if you ever really get to take, it's the, it's the only thing I envy about an academic existence is that they get to take sabbaticals. Yeah. And I mean, I guess it's like for us, it, you know, on our own, I think it would be about like applying for grants or, or something like that. Like, I don't actually don't think residencies are really a sabbatical. I right. think it's like right. the only yeah. thing that gives you, that buys you time is money. Yeah, exactly. It's Which is like, then you have to do more. Exactly. <laughs> I, mean, you're up. I know, I get it. I get it hard. And then if you take time off, you feel bad, but then it's like double. I know, I know. It's all, it's, it's really tricky. Yeah. But I think it does, I think it slowed down a little bit for, for me or gotten a little bit easier. I mean, part of that was that I let, I moved to a city that was more affordable. Yeah. I had I looked around when I was like 45. So I've been down here for like, six, six years. Um, I looked around and was like, I can't work any harder than I am. I can't do any more than what I'm doing. I'm not really going to make any more money than this, unless something magical happens. Like somebody makes one of my books into a TV show. Like I'm operating at a pretty good level and I still, I'm still not saving any money and I'm still not getting ahead. Yeah. So what's the problem here? And it was New York city. So I love you, New York, but you know, you're bringing me down, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. So those were like the, des- you know, we have to sort of start making certain decisions as we go get older about it. And, yeah, uh, and you can always go visit New York, of course. Yeah, or wherever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, New York is also my New York, so yeah. But like, I, I get to go because that's where my family is, so I get to go back and then. But it feels so weird now, not living there anymore. I don't know how it feels for you to go back. Like the the visiting is is strange to me. To visit a place you you lived for so long.
1: Well, I don't go to Williamsburg where I lived for a zillion right. years. I just don't go there because I do sometimes because my my very dear friends own St. Maisie the bar restaurant there, so I'll go over there and say hi to them. But I don't go to the old apartment building that I used to live in. I don't. Um, I know. I know it's very different there now. I just go to see the people that I love, wherever that that, yeah. that might happen to be, and I have no. I, I just feel like such a country mouse when I go there now too, yeah. because the buildings yeah. are so tall and it's so noisy and they're so, it's so expensive. Like it's all, all the things that like you can work around if you live there, but when you yeah. visit, it's harder to yeah. avoid those things. And I'm not even complaining when I say any of those things at all. I mm-hmm. had a great time there last week. It's just like a, it's just a sharp contrast to my, to my existence. So I don't know if I could ever go back there. I mean, maybe you could, cause your family's there. But I don't right. know if I would no. be able to take that step back because my life is maybe too quiet now.
0: Yeah, no, it feels it feels very different now. Yeah. Life in general, <laughs> having moved to a smaller, quieter city. Yeah. Do you feel happier now in that? In, because oh, of yeah. That? Yeah. A lot happier. I didn't know it was possible. I mean, grow, you know, I'm I lived on grew up on Long Island, moved to the city. That was like, a you know, the big thing you're supposed to do is move to the city and then like um, I didn't think I'd ever leave or or live anywhere else. and And now, I, yeah, I just have such a more relaxed life. I can think more, I think. like I think there's a reason I've had like to talk about success, but like more success as a writer leaving New York because I, you know, I'm not constantly like, especially as a food writer, going to. Different restaurants and stupid things, and then like feeling like I have to eat the things that everyone's eating. <laughs> yeah, like I'm like free. I'm free from having to like go to whatever new place people are going to, like Bernie's, I think it's called. But <laughs> even
1: as like even as a non food writer, I used to feel like right. I had to go to all those places, and now I don't feel that. Yeah. I'm, I don't feel that way anymore. Although I have like it's you know I still have really good friends in New York who are like really into yeah. it who are culture writers, and so I c- can sort of keep track of like where I might want to go through them, but it doesn't, it's not, uh, there's no reflection on me. Yeah. Like wherever I go. No, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: nice. It's great to be free of that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I don't know what I miss. I can't try to figure out what I miss. I only think I've ever missed is the people.
0: Yeah. The people, the, you know, at the cult, like going to a museum, like there's museums here, but they're not, they're not those museums. There's not, you know, I miss public transportation. We don't have public transportation here.
1: And, and that's what I miss. I, think. I just <laughs> want to say one more thing, which is like, it's just about, I just think like we are like as writers or as creative people, I'm trying to like, I, I'm starting to like read this talk about how to carve out a creative life. And it's like, oh, I cool. think as we like get older, like, like and our prayer, our priorities change, like we really just have to go, we have to go all in on something. Yeah, We have to, we, yeah. if we want to like really make it as an, <laughs> as an artist. So, and you yeah. can sort of see the people who, and this is not a criticism of them, but the people who say, all right, I'm actually not going all in as an artist, I'm going in all, all in as like, I decided I wanted to have a house in the Hamptons or I, you know, or I've got three yeah. kids now and I've got, you can also, by the way, be an artist and have three kids, but you know, you can see like, yeah. you know, which direction, what, you know, what you're choosing. And so it's, there's no there's no wrong answer it's it's what it's what's right for you whatever works for you. Right.
0: Yeah. No, I've been it's interesting you're writing a talk on create. I've been thinking about this and wanting to write an essay cuz I've been like listen listening to a lot of podcasts. My dog is is um afraid of these birds, these local birds that kind of swoop in so we've had to not go to the dog park and then while they're nesting, and so I'm just on these really long walks with the dog, listening to like On Being. I've never listened to On Being before, um, but like everyone says, you realize when all these patterns of things that people say about creativity and and how to make it happen, and it, it's 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 there's like these patterns of like it is work, it is labor to be creative, and you have to make these choices to do it. Where whereas like when I think when Or when I was growing up, I always was like, oh, to be creative has to have this magical quality and it has to strike you like lightning and and it's not work and you don't sit down and do it every day.
1: It is. (laughs) I just was like on some panel where we're talking about this. It is a magical quality, but it is magical. But you have to show up in the first place to receive the magic. And that's the work part. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, and I love the line in um I came I've come all this way to meet you, where you say I had to be a good writer and I had to be a good salesperson, which I and you know, because and and it's interesting because you just kind of plainly said the thing that I think we're not supposed to say about about being a writer and and the, the tension of selling and writing and creativity and how these how how are you feeling now about those those things as a relationship i'm
1: looking down as we're talking because i'm looking at my notes because i was thinking about it a little bit <laughs> this morning so i would say there's two things one is that having been in the publishing industry for my first book came out in 2006 so 16 years of it i recognize that when you put out a book it's more than just you right like it's yeah. like there's a marketing team there's a book designer there's an editor there's salespeople there's the assistants there's everybody who does it and so to me them And also coming from like a place where my dad was a traveling salesman and my parents owned a retail store as well. Like I'm probably the perfect person for the, to be like sympathetic to this. Although yeah. weirdly, I'm not a team player, but I am sympathetic <laughs> to what other I'm, I'm like really about other people succeeding at their jobs. And I want, I like, I appreciate it when people succeed at what they're trying to do. Yeah. So I don't have a problem with like doing certain things that are sales oriented. Um, in order to support my work because I feel like it's not like me writing it is one piece is like that's the art part of it but once I sell it yeah. to them then like it's a product yeah. so there's like that's a really seamless clear transition to me yeah like when it's done it's done and like now like what what can I do to help you and and hopefully you're going to do things to help me and so we all have to Work on it together, and I think that that has been beneficial to my career in a lot of ways. And I think it make, it ensures that I continue to get published because people yeah. know that I understand what the what the game is. And I don't think there's yeah at this point in my like through trial and error I've figured out things I don't want to do and things that I w- am willing to do, and then also the things that I'm good at good at doing. Yeah, yeah. and I've been public facing for a long time. You had that th- thing your newsletter recently about being public facing and yeah. reels. Which is like I can't tell you how many people I know who are like fucking reels, like it just yeah. it's like drives them <laughs> like totally. And I have, I'm not doing that. I just sort of refuse to do that. But um, I don't think yeah. I ha- I don't think I have to do that. But anyway, I've been public facing for a long time, and I've given too much of myself certainly online, and then I've and then I've walked it back. Meaning not meaning I've like regretted what I've done, but I've like. Die, you know and also my life is way less interesting than it used to be when I was like 29 writing <laughs> about my sex life online or whatever it was I was doing then so um but basically I would say actually summer of 2020 was like kind of a turning point for me where I was like I do so much stuff online like I have this th- the thousand words of summer um that I do which is like yeah you know I have my own newsletter obviously and then I do this thousand words of summer thing where it's like 15,000 people and everybody's writing and you know and I was doing like zoom teaching sessions and things like that and i was like i really need to like i was really like everybody else summer 2020 just losing their mind and i really had to sit down and like reassess what i was doing what i wanted the internet to do for me i was just saying this morning on twitter that my goal is always to get more out of the internet than the internet gets out of me yeah right yeah so like I had to like really sit down and like figure out what I was, what information I was willing to put out there, what I wanted to accomplish, all this kind of stuff, especially because we were like really living, we had been living online and now we were really living online. And, you know, and so I like made a list yeah. of things I was, uh, topics that I wanted to put out there. And yeah. I talked about to myself about how, what kind of help I could provide, because that's really yeah. important to me. I actually think that it's like, I mean, I mean this in a, in a non cynical way, but. I think that if you can figure out ways to be positive on, online the, and it'd be helpful to other people, then it is beneficial to your yeah. career or the, or your project. Yeah. I think of it as project, right? Like the project of, yeah. my, of my life more than career, because there's plenty of things that I do that I don't make a dime off of, but they are yeah. all part of like this huge art art project of my life. Right. So, yeah. okay. I think that's it all I wanted to say about it but like but we can talk about it but do you know what I mean like it's really about like yeah. wrestling control of it and say and like not looking at what anyone else is doing but looking at like right. what your skill set right. is and what makes you feel good and I like entertaining people I like it when people like yeah so my dog makes me feel yeah. good I know yeah. it's like a little <laughs> dopamine rush but also like people like my dog and that, that's that's yeah yeah so I I just want to like, I I just would rather be, I just would rather be positive online than not positive online.
0: No. Yeah. I think I'm learning this too. There is, the, it doesn't help anybody to be, you know, shit talking or, or negative or yeah. And it's just, it's hard for me <laughs> as, a, as a mostly negative person, but I don't know if I, but anyway, yeah. Yeah,
1: you're a truth teller. I'm a truth teller too. It's not that I'm not ever negative, I'm you know, yeah. I think you have to be honest about it. And especially as like a thinker, you know, a participant yeah. in culture, like that kind of thing. But where you focus, yeah. you really choose to focus your energy. That's yeah. not very yeah. hippy-dippy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, you don't. Because it's real. Because, you know, I mean, and yeah, we've been on the internet for so long now at this point. Everyone, I think. And it's like but it's so different now and and i think that's the tension that i'm always teasing out is that i used to have a relationship with the internet like you're saying where i got so much more out of it than it got out of me and now that definitely changed and having you know the considering how to reassemble a positive relationship with the internet where it doesn't feel like a vampire to just open an app is really important but it's difficult because for a lot of people I mean, I guess, or people who weren't on the internet all the time are are here and they, they have a voice and they think that they need to like, I don't know, the way people are and be, be nasty and like think that that's okay and that sort
1: of thing. And like, it's out of control, yeah. but it's also like, it's too, yeah. it's, it's so far gone that it doesn't even matter. Exactly. It's beyond me. So I'm just like, whatever, I'm just yeah. going to do the thing that I do and that's fine. And like, they can do what they're going to yeah. do and I can't save the world and You know, I can only just put out what I can put out because it's too, it's, it's just, I'm not their mom. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or (laughs) their, or whatever, you know. So,
0: yeah, I no, but there are a lot of people looking for moms on on Twitter. <laughs> um, well, why did you want to write a, a a memoir now after so many novels? I heard you talking about this on on the Maris Review a little bit.
1: That I didn't really. I don't know why I did it. No, I know, I know why I did it. <laughs> now I'm just like I'm very shut down about it. I have to admit. So it came out in January 11th. Yeah, where it's April 4th, so it's been out for a little bit. I have, I basically like put it out, did everything I was supposed to do for the month that it came out. And then, you know, you, you it's like also like two months beforehand. So I do interviews and right. all this other stuff. So it's really like a two to three months. It used to be in the old days that <laughs> you would have a book, you would do a bunch of stuff a month before it came out. And then you really would talk about it for two, three, four months. And now the yeah. cycle is everything happens before and then one month after. And then the next thing steps in. Yeah. Even like yeah. the biggest sellers in the world, you know, like, uh, Kanya Yanagihara's book was like, ma- was massive. And I think after a month it was like, okay, she did everything she's supposed to do. Right. Who's, ne- who's next on the list. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So anyway, I put in a lot of effort, um, around that time. And then I immediately went offline for the month of February and worked, which was delightful. Um, I, yeah. and I didn't, I wasn't on Twitter. I was really I wasn't like totally screen free, but I was like, it felt real, real good. Now I'm back on a little bit. And uh I'm not really answering your question. I am gonna answer your question eventually. It's okay. <laughs> um, but so now I'm back and I'm gonna start doing some touring again and, and think like I'm gonna this cool. summer, I'm gonna do some stuff and I have some speaking engagements and things like that. So I I think I'm sort of back in the game. And I thought I would have perspective on it. I I couldn't write another novel because I had written seven and I was I needed a break from writing novels. So yeah. my way of taking a break, we don't get to take the sabbatical, was just to write yes. a memoir instead. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, I actually, fortunately, I had sold the book before that, right before the pandemic hit. So I at least yeah. had that project to work on. And it was like a really, poor I thought I was going to be writing it here and there. I'd be traveling, whatever. I had just had a book come out, And instead I was just like really living with myself at home, like really like no escaping. <laughs> Me, while I was writing a memoir, it was a lot. Yeah. I definitely think because I was about to turn 50, that was part of it. Like I, I had some perspective finally, you know, it was really kind of spanning like maybe like 20 years of my life, my writing career, mostly focused on my writing career more than anything else. Um, With little bits of childhood here and there and a little bits of the modern day here and there. I thought I had only been writing part of the truth the entire time that I had been writing nonfiction because I had 20 years of nonfiction alongside 20 years of writing novels and I thought that it would be worth it to try and explore these essays that I wrote that were like twelve hundred words for the back of New York Times magazine. Like, what does it look like if they get expanded? Right. You know, or how does it? How do they all fit next to each other? Do, like, a lot of these chapters were like five essays yeah. that kind of were not chopped up, but like it was very kaleidoscopic effect you know, in the um, in the writing of the book. And then there were things that I thought were really important that I would have sworn would have been like huge focal points in the book, like essays I'd written that ended up being just like a paragraph and, and then I was like done with them. Yeah, yeah. So it's very, it was really an interesting experience in that way. Like the process of it was actually, I learned so much from the process of it. It was, I learned new things about, about my writing. So, but I guess I, I, I mean, I really think I, I really just thought I needed to try something different, a different genre. And I thought I was ready to write yeah. about myself. And I don't, it's like, I don't ever want to look at this book again right now. Right now, that's how I feel. I don't, I don't even know how to respond to it. I think I get that way with all my books. And then I look back a couple of years later and I'm like, wow, that was, I knew a big word or whatever, (laughs) you know, like that's a really fancy word that I put in that. How did I even come up with that? I don't know what it means now, but, um, but I, yeah, I don't know. I, I can't wait to see, I, I will say that I'm getting really positive responses to it from people. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there are people who hate it. Yeah, But I have been like getting like really nice emails that are different than the emails that I usually get for my fiction. Yeah. Because it's me. So they're responding to me personally. Yeah, But it makes me a little (laughs) bit. I mean, please do it. Send me a nice email about my work. I'm happy. I'm happy for it to have meant something to you. But it's just like, you don't sort of don't know how to respond to it because you're like, I really thought I was like, not particularly likable in that that book and I am fascinated but people email me and are like I'm pretty sure we would be friends I'm like are you <laughs> I'm not that good did you read the same book I
0: I'm kind of shitty are you sharing <laughs> anyway I didn't come away thinking you're shitty so I don't know
1: <laughs> I am sometimes
0: I, I suppose we all I are think though, we so. all are yeah do you think it would have been different if you weren't writing it during the pandemic did you anticipate it being right. different?
1: Yeah. For sure, because there's the, the present tense of the book became, I thought I would be writing it while I was traveling because yeah. I had a, I had six months of touring planned out because in my old, old life, it was, that's what I did. I yeah. had a book come out and then I toured for the next year yeah. with little breaks here and there and then I'd write here and there. And so I thought I'm going to be writing this while I'm traveling and that's going to be part of the process. And instead I was writing it from a, I think like a wistful or mournful yeah. place. yeah. You know, where I might have like if I were traveling and exhausted and had ridden it, I might it might even have been more critical. Yeah. And instead I was like, remember that time <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy there, wasn't I? <laughs> so I think that that was different. I think it I think everyone had not everyone, can't speak for everyone. I think a lot of people that I know had you know, some come to Jesus moments over the last couple of years about yeah, who you are, what you're doing with your life what kind of person you are, what you're, what you can handle, how, how, are you a part of your community? How do you feel about your community? Like all that kind of stuff. And so that I I think played into it in a way that I wouldn't have had to think about if I were still on the road running around. Yeah. I mean, I, it would have, I'm certain it would have been a different book. I'm certain of it. And then, and so then you write the book that you can write.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, has the, this time changed your relationship to traveling because you are moving in the book, also in life, of course, you're traveling so much. Do you feel differently about travel now?
1: I will say, maybe it was my sabbatical, yeah. <laughs> and then I wasn't, it wasn't traveling. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't traveling, yeah, uh, yeah. Because I, if you'd asked me six months ago, I would have been like, great, I don't ever want to travel again. It's yeah. fine. I feel like I needed the, I needed the break, and now I'm like so hungry for it. Like I yeah. can't wait to get out in the world. Like I'm doing a European tour in two weeks. Nice. I'm going to, and I just kept adding vacation (laughs) time in there. Like I only have, I'm gone for like three weeks and I think I have seven events in three weeks, which means there's a couple cities I'm going to that are just kind of for fun. That's awesome. Just for me. Yeah. And um, I will be super broke at the end of it, (laughs) but I, (laughs) I don't kind of know if there, I don't know. We'll see how I, maybe I'll have to write, write, write a little bit more than I want to. But uh, yeah, I don't, I, I, the only thing is that I, I write a lot in the book about how there's a big chapter about my flight anxiety and I had really pushed past it and have found now that I'm flying again in mass that it has returned. Yeah. So I'd have to, I'm doing like a whole layer of work on that, that I hadn't anticipated having to do. I thought it was fine. And, and then, and had set up all these, you know, put all these systems into place when you have anxiety. And um, those systems, a lot of those systems aren't really available to you when you're wearing a mask. Ah, uh, yeah. When other people are wearing masks. Yeah. And so that's like, that's my only challenge. But I'm, I think I'm going to spend way too much money in my life on upgrading my seats. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be a way that I... do it. I just had this whole Twitter thing where I where I posted about aisle seats versus yeah. window seats. And like, I just was like 20,000 people responded to it. Like where I I was, because I'm such an aisle person. Me too. Yeah. But the window people are super window people. And it was really, (laughs) but it actually like listening to what, like that actually window people have their own form of anxiety often too. And that means to them, it feels like it's a cocoon and it's safe and everything like that. And it was ended up being kind of exposure therapy for me in this weird way. Like old seeing all these people talking about their feelings about Where they sit on an airplane, yeah, it was actually really. It Twitter was helpful for me in that that way. (laughs) That's good, but I still don't know those middle those middle people, those middle people. That's very, very, very
0: odd to me. Yeah, I have to be in the (laughs) aisle. I don't like to have to bother someone to get up. I would rather be bothered by someone than to be the botherer. That's just. I think, yeah. I think that's the question. Really, is like, would you rather ask or be asked?
1: <laughs> that's, to real. Get up? that's real. That's yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I don't know what psychological meaning that has, really, but uh, <laughs> it seems like something. <laughs> but yeah, I, we we talked about this though. That yeah, how has New Orleans changed your 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 life, other than it being an easier place to live as a writer?
1: Um, I think it's like I, now I have like a little house here, so like that when you when you own a house your life changes in certain ways you have certain kinds of responsibilities and I feel very it makes me feel safe to have a mortgage yeah because I rented for so long so I think being a homeowner means something to me I would say um I I see people more like I see my friends more I really appreciate now that I have the opportunity to to see people make community all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I missed a little a little bit, and maybe I missed the anonymity of New York where you can walk out your door and like not see people and just go out about your day and make the choices that you want to make. And here it's like you walk out your front door, you're gonna run to the three people you know. Yeah. Especially with the dog. Yeah. Like all the dog people know each other. Yeah. And it's just everyone lives in the houses versus, you know, large apartment buildings and things like that. It's just different. It's like a, it's just a much tighter, closer community. The weather's better. It really does mean yeah. a lot to me to have better weather. New Orleans has many, many problems as a city, but I still yeah. love it here. Yeah, So I <laughs> definitely feel happier here. Definitely feel happier
0: yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. Well, how do you define abundance? Um,
1: well, I'm looking out um, my window, and there's just a just a huge loquat tree that is just full and orange and r- ripe, right. and I can walk out there right now and pull the fruit from the tree and that feels like abundance to me yeah yeah
0: well for you is writing a political act yes of course of course (laughs) I don't know what what else are we doing I usually ask people (laughs) cooking is cooking a political act um but it felt I wouldn't be fair they usually say yes Or no, yeah, but you know, people they'll say that me being in the kitchen isn't political. But I just had a talk with speaking of academics. i I did a conversation with um a professor an English professor who has a novel out, and we were talking about this. And she was saying how there's so much labor involved in cooking. And I think that when people talk about cooking as as me, you know, not being political when they're in the kitchen, I think that they're, you know, doing a disservice to their own work, maybe. <laughs>
1: I was thinking about how earlier you were talking about writer, writing being labor, and there actually yeah. has been like an internet discussion as of late about being a novelist, being unpaid labor. I just That's, have to say, no one's making you write a novel. Yeah, yeah. No yeah. one's making you do any, any of this. It's, it's like you're, choo- <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're choosing to do it because you want yeah. to. You chose, a, you chose a hard path. You chose a hard path, but there are other paths that are even harder, and the fact that you even have a choice is amazing,
0: yeah. To do it, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. absolutely. Sorry, I was just being a mom there. No, yeah, <laughs> but I was like, oh my gosh, I was no, such no, a it's mom, okay.
0: yeah, no, but thank you, thank you for being here. Yes, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much to everyone for listening to this week's edition of From the Desk of Alicia Kennedy. Read more at AliciaKennedy.news, or follow me on Instagram Alicia D Kennedy on Twitter at Alicia Kennedy.